You're listening to That Music Podcast with me, Bryson Tarbett. I'm the music educator and blogger behind That Music Teacher and ThatMusicTeacher.com. Join me as I dive into what it really means to be a music educator. I hope that you're able to find a nugget of inspiration each week as I share my favorite ways to create purposeful instruction through active music making. Along the way, you'll hear from some of my amazing colleagues as they share practical advice that you can apply to your own classrooms. So grab a coffee, sit down, and let's get started. This episode is brought to you by my free guide on five ways to better serve students with exceptional learning needs. It can be hard to try to best serve your students with exceptional needs in the music classroom, but it doesn't have to be. There are some simple steps that you can take to help your students while also taking some of the stress off of your shoulders. In this free PDF guide, I'll share five of my top tips for better serving those students that might have exceptional learning needs in your classroom. To claim your free PDF copy, head on over to thatmusicteacher.com slash exceptional learners. You guys, I am so excited for you to hear this conversation I had with Carissa Duncanson. It was Absolutely amazing. And fair warning, we just, we recorded this way back in like the beginning of December 2020. Um, and it was just like at this point, like where I am, like in COVID land in teaching, I just loved being able to sit down and talk to someone who's also another music teacher who just understands w- where I'm coming from. And she was able to share such wonderful um, insights into her story of how she became a music educator. And I just, I just thoroughly enjoyed the the time together. So I can't wait for you to hear um, our conversation. Carissa Duncanson has taught K through fifth grade general music in the Metro Detroit area since 2014. Born and raised in Michigan, Carissa began her musical journey in elementary school. Throughout her childhood, Carissa participated in choirs, bands, and theater within her community and schools. She earned a bachelor of music in vocal education from Wayne State University and currently teaches at Blackwell K through eighth grade Institute in Detroit public schools. As a professional, Carissa has presented locally and internationally at conferences and professional development workshops. Being an avid advocate for music education, Ms. Duncanson has served on multiple boards for music education associations, including MMEA Michigan, Detroit Orff Shulwark Association, and the American Orff Shulwark Association. In her spare time, Carissa loves to craft and go on walks with her husband and dog, Maisie. And without further ado, here is our conversation with Carissa Duncanson on her music teacher journey. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to That Music Podcast. I am super excited to share my conversation with Carissa Duncanson. We're talking about um, our music education story and more specifically her story as a music educator and how she um, got to where she is now. So, Carissa, thank you so much for taking some time and talking with me today. Absolutely. I'm really excited to be here and talk about music and music ed. Awesome. So Carissa, will you tell us a little bit about yourself? So, you know, where did you go to school uh, and you know, kind of where and what do you teach? Sure, sure. So uh, like Bryson said, my name is Carissa Duncanson. I am a, this is my seventh year teaching, um, but let's back up a little bit even more. Um, I go by the pronouns she, her, and hers. I live in right outside of Detroit, Michigan. I have taught those seven years in right outside of Detroit in Dearborn, Michigan. So I went to college in Detroit at Wayne State University. And this seventh year is actually my first year teaching in Detroit public schools. So I have switched from Dearborn to Detroit public schools. 
Awesome. And what a year to switch. <laughs> yes. It was kind of wild, but um, it honestly has been really, really positive. Um, and I'm, I don't have any regrets, knock on wood. So that's awesome. All right. So Krista, other than teaching, what's something that you, that brings you joy and that you're just really passionate about? Something that brings me joy. Oh God. Um, right now I have been doing exactly that, trying to find and search things that de-stress me and bring me happiness and joy. Um, And right now it's been moving away from screens. So anything that keeps me feeling human and alive that isn't a screen. So I've been trying to practice my cello more. I've been trying to find books that I am interested in and crave more than my phone. Um, and spending time with my my husband and my my animals and just trying to center myself because right now we are overloaded with screen time and um, it's definitely stressing me out. So trying to find little things where I can remove that has brought me joy. I love how you said, you know, you're trying to find those things because I'm definitely in that same period of life. Like I'm, I'm always one to fill my time with things, which is fine. Like, I mean, like with here on the podcast, like I love what I do, but I'm really bad at finding hobbies that aren't other commitments. Um, so that's something yeah. I'm really trying to uh, do better about as I kind of go into this next chapter of my life. I totally, totally echo that and relate to that. I, I am one who ter- like says yes frequently and is constantly on podcasts or presenting <laughs> or doing extra odd end jobs. And I've been trying to say not necessarily no, but like yes to myself more, if that makes sense. So totally. And part of that is doing less of screen because I don't know about you, but like my neck, I don't know. My posture is awful. Oh my goodness. Yes. I'm just like really, my body really feels this change of virtual life. And so I'm trying to listen to my body and listen to um, the need for kind of stepping, not necessarily in the other direction, but just stepping towards I don't know. It's towards you, you know, doing what you want, you know, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So a little backstory as we're recording uh, at the time of this recording, I'm currently in my second week of teaching virtually full time. Um, And you're exactly right. It's such an adjustment. My body is like, Hey, you're normally jumping around like a crazy person. What's going on? Um, Like my back has been ridiculous this past week. So I'm glad it's not just me. No, it's not you. And I am someone who has taught virtually since the shutdowns in March. So I have, I have not taught children in real life since March, 2020. So, um, yeah, it's, I I, like, don't know who I am. I mean, I do know who I am, but like, this has been so, such a shift for, for me in every way. So I thank you for that question. And I think it's one that a lot of us should be, um, just thinking about what brings us joy because there was so, and there is, there has been so much hardship and sadness and trauma this, this year. Um, and so finding joy has to be intentional. So I appreciate that question. And I hope those who are listening, um, can pause a minute and just reflect on 
what joy means, what joy is for them and how they can obtain it because it's been scarce. It's been scarce. So the reason I asked, you know, other than teaching what, what you're passionate about is because I feel like at least for me, and I feel like for at least some other people out there, when, you know, March 13th or whenever it happened in your neck of the woods, when everything changed, um, unfortunately, a lot of like for me, you know, I, I very rarely got to see my students. I very rarely got to have that connection. And so much of my identity was built up as me being a music teacher. And I was like, I, I don't know what to do. I, you know, I don't have hobbies, you know, <laughs> you know, so I think it's, it's important for us to remember that, you know, being a, a teacher isn't part of us, but we also need to remember that it isn't all of us and it shouldn't be all of us. Absolutely. Absolutely. We are, we have so many pieces to our pie, right? Of, of who we are as individuals. And it's okay to, and that's, that's human, right? That's the human aspect of us. We are not just one thing. Um, and actually identity is one of my jams. I love talking about identity. And so, um, and I, I think it's something really healthy that we can talk about as adults and with our students. And so, um, and I, I probably should have said this when I introduced myself, um, I am a black woman who um, doesn't always um, come off as a quote unquote black woman when being heard. So people might hear my voice and not and not know that part of my identity. So um, yeah, it, I like that was kind of a weird way to circle into that. But our identities are not just one level; they are multi leveled, multi layered. Um, so many different pieces to our identities and um yeah we can be music teachers and like human beings who make mistakes and i'm a triathlete i i run and swim and bike and i sew and i i have a dog i'm a dog mom and i do all sorts of other things that um people might not think a music teacher would do but that's okay because that's me i love this i'm just I'm just like grinning ear to ear because I'm just I'm just enjoying this conversation so much because it's so real um, and it's so nice to be able to talk to another music educator that gets it. But with that being said, I'd love to talk about you as a music teacher. Um, so, really, what led you to pursue a degree in music education? Okay, so I um, I have a unique background. I am a transracial adoptee who was in my adoptive family, the oldest child. However, I do have older biological siblings, but in my adopted home, um, I was the oldest and the leader and kind of always knew that I would, I was always in charge of the kids. Like it was always like, what are we going to do, Carissa? Like what, I just, I was the one who was either babysitting by default or I kind of wanted to. So um, that, that was a huge part of my foundation as like working with children, but then specifically music ed was my high school choir director. Um, he really shaped, he really shaped my idea of being a, a teacher and specifically music teacher. Um, he was somebody that we, we being his students, we all just felt at home in his choir room and all of us were different. Some of us were athletes. Some of us were theater geeks. Some of us were in the orchestra. Some of us did. I mean, we were all different types of, of children. Students who didn't speak English were in choir. So we, we just, it was a place where all of us came together and felt safe and um, connected. 
And I just remember completely falling in love with him and my classmates in choir. And I, I wanted to make, I wanted to emulate that for others. And so, um, when it came time to figure out college and what I was going to do, I, with the nudge of the same choir teacher said choir teacher, I, um, he helped me with my audition and, um, I, auditioned for a music program and that was how the ball got rolling. So, um, that's kind of where it started a choir teacher. And I feel like so many of us music teachers have either we've had that or we haven't had that, you know, or we like it, we wanted to be a teacher because we didn't have that. I was literally just about to say the same thing. I hearing so many music teacher stories, it's they've either had one really great music teacher that really shaped them or they, just like you said, the opposite is they didn't have that, that figure and they wanted to be that figure for someone else. Exactly. Yeah. And, and honestly too, um, I didn't have music education as a child. Like I had choir in high school and in middle school, but we didn't have, I never had what we do, right. I never had an elementary music experience. And so, um, and that, that all was new to me once I got to college, but, um, so doors kind of open too. I, I, younger children was always my passion, but I didn't know that music ed existed um, the way that it does. And so that was kind of a turn of events for me when I got to college. And one other thing too, something that led me to education was I never saw a teacher who looked like me or who, um, who I could relate to in that identity piece or in that sense of identity. My first black teacher was in college and was one of my professors. And so I, I love the quote that says, um, be the person that you needed when you were younger. And um, that's another, that was another factor into me choosing to be a teacher is because I know that I needed somebody. And so I, I strive to be that somebody um, for my students. So I absolutely love that. And I've, I've been following you on Instagram for a while now. And from what I've seen is that you are such an amazing um, person to just have in, like in your, I can't imagine the joy and the, the amount of fun and learning and things that have going on in your classroom. Thank you. I really appreciate that. So when you went into college, I know you said you never really had the elementary music, but did you think you were going to be like a choir director? And then if so, you know, where did you get that change to teaching at the elementary level? So, you know, most of my classmates, like in college, everyone's like, I want to do like middle school, high school chorus. And um, honestly, this, my high school experience, we didn't do solo and ensemble in Michigan, that's like a big thing. Um, but my high school never did it. So I was very out of tune and out of touch with, with what that even was. So um, my classmates were like, yeah, I want to do, I want to do secondary choral. I, for me, it was just not my jam. And then we had like an intro to elementary music or like, you know, the, the general music, the intro course yeah. at the university. And I fell in love with just the playfulness and the um, the creative aspect of 
elementary general music. And then um, when I was student teaching, I my cooperating teacher was very involved in orchestra work and I went to my first workshop and I, I honestly sat there and my mouth was like on the ground. And I, I remember feeling like I, I was like, how am I just now knowing what this is? And like, you know, there's teachers from all different ages, like very seasoned teachers and brand new teachers all getting together on a Saturday, like rolling around on the floor, like, do, like playing like I I felt like a child and I felt so like affirmed in what where I was and and also a little bit like oh my god I've been robbed like why haven't I been told about this and um so that kind of motivated me to motivated and affirmed that I need to be teaching elementary and this is where I belong yeah I had a little bit of a, a similar story is you know I I don't remember. I had elementary music. I just don't remember it for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Um, but I went into college thinking, you know what? I'm going to be this next greatest choir director. It's going to be awesome. I'm going to love it. Um, and I literally said the phrase multiple times to people that would ask me about like job prospects and stuff when I said I was doing music. I'd, I'd be like, well, you know, I um, I know that, you know, my license will be K-12. So I might have to teach elementary school for a while. But, <laughs> I, you know, I, you know. I, I never thought in a thousand years that not only would I like want to, but like I would love it. Like I, I would be the worst high school choir director now. Like I, 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 I I'm so glad that I had the change of heart um, and that things worked out the way that they did so that I could, again, I was so taken away by, you know, just the joy of the music making and, you know, the play based, you know, part of it. Oh, I, I just love talking about it, especially now, you know, when we're time of COVID when, we really can't do a lot of the things that I love, but it's, it's just something that I'm so passionate about because it's just so joyful. Yeah. And that shines through. And I would argue for you as well, you found where you belong. Like I honestly, yeah, it, it's just when you know, you know, and yeah, like when you, when you're there, it hits you in the face and you're like, wow. Exactly. It's like one of those moments that you're like, okay, this is going to be one of those is very rarely do you have a moment where like, this is a pivotal moment in my life and you can like see it in the moment. But there's a few and that was definitely one of them is when I was I remember the lesson that I observed an elementary school music teacher for like it was like freshman year first semester. I observed uh, I think it was a first grade Kodai lesson and I fell in love. And every once in a while when I'm feeling down, I go back and I read the like the field observation report. It's like four pages for like a 20 minute lesson um, (laughs) undergrad me. Woo. Um, But like, I read it and just remember it reminds me of how my life was changed on that day and how I'm so glad that I'm where I am. Yes. Yes. I love it. So Chris, I I knew you said that you just started a new position. Can you tell us a little bit about how you ended up in your current position? Absolutely. So I grew up on the West side of Michigan and then Wayne State um, is in Detroit, and I chose I chose Wayne State because um, it's partially was uh, one of the only I applied to like two other schools. But um, the main reason why I wanted to be in Detroit is because my birth family, my first family, um, was from Detroit, and I knew this, and so I wanted to. I don't know, you know, when you're 18, you're like, I'm who am I? Like, I'm gonna find myself, and you're doing that for your education. You're also like 18 and you're like 
legally an adult. So you're sure. figuring out like who you are. I'm also, I am biracial. So I was really into, I mean, I still am really into identity, but I was like really digging for who am I? And so I, I chose Wayne State and um, had no idea where I wanted to teach after, you know, I was just like any other 18 year old. And um, when it, when I got to my senior year and was student teaching, a job opportunity came in Dearborn, just outside of Detroit, and I took it. Um, but my goal had always been to teach in Detroit, where my biological, my my birth father attended. He's a graduate of Detroit Public Schools, and his father is also a product of Detroit Public Schools. So I, I really wanted to, that was my goal. And um, it kind of, you know, my goal and my dream changed when life happened and I was offered a job elsewhere. Yeah. But because of COVID and because of the time that I was, the extra time that I had on my hands at home, I beefed up my resume. I, you know, was able to look for jobs and lo and behold, there were openings in Detroit. And so I took the leap and um, I found a school that just was affirming for me in so many ways. Uh, the school itself hadn't had music in a few years, and it felt like the right time to take that leap. And um, my administrator, my new administrator, she tried to hire me before she even met me in real life. <laughs> it's like kind of wild, but she saw what she needed to see in my. Um, and that was weird too. Just the hiring process during COVID, it was so bizarre. I had to send in videos of me teaching. And um, my first interview was um, with with the arts director rather than the the, the principals. But um, so that was all different as well. But um, yeah, I, I took a leap of faith and followed my, my a dream that was planted in my heart at 18 years old. And here I am over 10 years later, um, following through with that dream. So so yeah, I'm teaching on the east side of Detroit. Um, Detroit is the biggest school district in the state of Michigan. And right now I currently have um, just under 350 students. I teach kindergarten through eighth grade, which was a change for me. I taught um, K through five before or pre-K through five. So I have I have middle schoolers and I was so oh. <laughs> yeah, everyone. OK, that that was my reaction to like, oh, like, oh, I don't know. They are everything. They are literally my favorite. I can't oh, wait awesome. until I get to teach my sixth, seventh, and eighth graders. They make my job. Oh my God. It, it's they have they have challenged me to be more open-minded because I did have like a very like oh, um anxious, uncertain uh bias towards middle school and Oh my God, was I so wrong? And again, they are everything. I, I don't know if they're. I don't know if they. They sometimes stalk me. So shout out to <laughs> y'all are listening. I love you so much. So oh, um, that's awesome. I love them. So so yeah, that's kind of where I'm at now. And um, yeah, I I don't know. I think the hardest thing about changing during a pandemic. And if there are any listeners out there who are who have considered it or who are currently in this situation, um, the hardest thing is like building the camaraderie and the um, community within my colleagues or in within and with my colleagues. So like I feel so disconnected from 
from the other teachers in my building. And, you know, we feel that way anyway, as the music teachers were like, kind of like, exactly. Oh, you're that teacher. But like, I, it's like, it's even more so now. So I've been really just trying to not lose sight in, or lose faith in, um, being connected with my colleagues. I feel really alone, but, um, I know that's just with the season that we're in, but that's definitely been the hardest thing. Exactly. I'm so glad that you you ended up being able to achieve that goal that you've been working for for so long. I really hope that it continues to work out as we hopefully get back to in-person lessons sooner rather than later. Yes, yes. When it's safe. Absolutely. Exactly. Carissa, so in your time as a music teacher, what have been some of the biggest lessons that you've either had to learn or that you just have learned? <laughs> okay, so mistakes are life. That's totally human. Um, I think one of my one of my biggest takeaways or cha- challenges that I faced, I learned from one of my mentor teachers in the orchestral work, and her, her name is Sarah Richardson, and she challenged me a, a couple last summer, not this summer because COVID, but last summer I was studying at the University of Kentucky, um, getting one of my ORF levels. And Sarah Richardson said, turn up the yes. She challenged us to tell our kids, to, to not tell our kids, but to, to, instead of saying, no, you can't do this. No, you can't do this because this is what kids hear all day. As soon as they get off the bus or get out of the car, they're told, stop doing that. No, 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 no. Try and figure out ways to say yes. Um, So that's been a lesson that I've tried to incorporate. And I've watched how that's changed my students' um, relationships with me and how they trust me, how they work for me. or And really, they're working for themselves, right? I'm just facilitating. So when I am, okay, if if they answer something and it's completely like, I want to be like, no, that's not it okay, yes. Can you show me how, or what that, what, what do you mean by that? Or kind of giving them an avenue to the, the answer they gave without me saying no, how can I make that a yes for me? So, um, and a yes for them. So that's, that's been one lesson that I've like, that's really helped me and really changed, um, my management and the uh, the classroom culture in my room. And then another thing too is um, as a child, I was I was always labeled. Um, I, I grew up in a very um, suburban white community and I was the only child of color majority of the time. So I was used to, um, labels and being labeled. Um, and I remember how that made me feel as a learner, as a classmate, as a kid, just walking down the hall. Um, and I'm, I try to challenge myself and my colleagues to stay away from labels, whether it be a racial label, an ethnic label, a religious label, even an academic label, because our goal isn't to label children. Our goal is to 
in my opinion, our goal should be to guide them to love learning and to guide them to find growth in their learning. Um, And so, and that looks differently for every child. And so that's been, I would say that's the other lesson that I've really tried to, I've had to learn and um, try not to get sucked into because labels are part of, I mean, labels is what we do in education. If we're being trained. Unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, um, I, that has been something that has been a challenge and it's something that I still am being challenged with in, um, yeah. So, yeah, those are the so much, oh my gosh, so much amazing information there. Um, so much great insight. I, I think again, going with labels, that is so important. You know, I, the amount of times you know, me and me, myself, my own experiences, but also those people that, you know, I follow on Instagram and things like that have shared, you know, where they have a student who is, you know, the, the disruptive one or oh, yeah. um, the loud one or the one who yells. Yes. But doesn't do that in music. You know, it's different. You know, it. Wh- how different would it be if we already had that preconceived notion in our head that this is the disruptive kid um, even before meeting them? You know, how are we, how, how would that change how we, interact with them and how could to unfortunately could that fulfill the prophecy and make them the distracting one because they've been told they're the distracting one and we're treating them like they're a distracting one so of course they're probably going to be the distractive one um so kids know they know they know how i mean they know exactly (laughs) and i think one thing that i loved how you said about you know turning up the ass is is that is great, you know, giving students the some agency in the classroom, some buy-in, some, you know, things aren't right or wrong. There are, you know, there can be, you know, multiple answers that have multiple degrees of um, success, and it just trying things. And one that I have to say that is something I absolutely love about the Orphshell work is there's so much student-led, just creativity and kind of seeing where you're going. It reminds me a lot of you know the old improv, you know, yes and. You know, if you're in a scene with, if you're in a scene with someone, you can't say no, no matter what they say, no matter what situation they start, you have to say yes. And then you add something. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's something I think that we can really bring into our teaching to allow us to have more deeper level, um, just understanding kind of just using the concepts that we're using. It's not just yes or no. It's, um, it's using that in whatever way that it needs to, again, saying yes and instead of no. Absolutely. And even in this climate too, like of e-learning, I've, that's been really hard for me too, is like, okay, how can I continue this idea of yes, when I am teaching them through a screen? Like, how do I do this? So, and with, you know, there's even less resources, there's less support. Um, I mean, it depends on everyone's situation, but for me, I feel, um, it's, it's a really, it's a big struggle. You know, not all of the kids have equal, like we don't all get to have this access to what I have in the classroom. It's like what they have at home or some of my kids live in their exactly. Like how can, you know, how can, how can I continue this, um, style of learning in this, um, culture of, of yes. And, and student led, um, ideas, in this current climate as well. Yeah. And that actually brings me really nicely to the next question, which as your time as a teacher, 
what have been some of your biggest challenges? And I know for a lot of us, teaching on time of COVID is probably a big challenge. But um, if you want to talk more about that, that's totally fine. But even, you know, are there other challenges that you have? You know, what have been some of the really big challenges in your career? Yeah. I think one of the biggest challenges has been to to continue to do to do the the good trouble. <laughs> I <guess. laughs> um, I admire as so many educators and um, people in this world do. I admire uh, John Lewis and his um, idea of of good trouble and. Um, for us as educators, there is so much that we have to do and undo and, and unlearn because of the history of education in our nation, yeah. because of um, just the literal history of our nation, the, um, the work that needs to be done is so enormous. So I I think one of the biggest challenges for me has been how can I continue to do that work of decolonizing my repertoire? I'm a I'm a huge advocate for books and I think I've talked to you about it. The there's a place um near you in Columbus in Germantown? No. Oh my goodness, German Village, the book loft. Yes, the best bookstore in the entire world. I'm derailing right now, but I have to because shout out to Columbus. That is, if you are a, a book person, you have to go to say it again. The the book loft in German Village. The book loft is so amazing. And why was I saying that? Oh, I have to. I've really had to kind of um, shift and correct my classroom library. Um, I'm a huge advocate for literature in the music classroom. And I've really had to take a step back and um, re reevaluate, reexamine some of the authors, some of the texts, some of the stories um, that have a either racist history or are told from an inauthentic point of view um, because our kids deserve that. I deserve that. I think you deserve that. And our kids deserve that. So um, that's been a challenge for me and a challenge to do it in a way that is um, mindful and kind. I think a lot of people get overwhelmed with the idea of um, kind of an anti-racist classroom and a classroom that is um, focused on decolonizing curriculum because it is overwhelming because it is so white supremacy is so embedded within our curricula it's like insane and especially the the music world i mean it's i actually so i'm recording we're recording this super early um but i actually just yesterday um recorded an interview that will already be out for by now i think um but it's it's with darlene machacon all about um responsive teaching and culturally Mm -hmm. valid teaching and a lot of the same things you were saying were echoed in that conversation. Um, and it's, again, it's unfortunate that so much of education in general, but especially the music world has been built on really not so great things. Yeah. Um, and there, and there's a lot that we have to do even now, you know, in 2020, we're still 
pushing to undo. Yeah. 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 So it's been a challenge. It's been a challenge, but it's, it's something it's, it's, and to some people it's trouble. Like I am not going to do Jingle Bells this year. And I didn't, this is like, it's hard for me. Jingle Bells is like my, I love Jingle Bells and I love, I love teaching it. I love teaching AB form. I, it's fun. I hate the actual Jingle Bells, but it's like the one time I'm like, all right, we're going to get out the Jingle Bells, but I'm going to have to find a different song because I recently learned that Jingle Bells was um, originally written as a minstrel song for minstrel shows. And I can do better. I, my kids, I deserve better. My kids deserve better. And guess what? I can find a song to teach AB and whip out the dang jingle bells. Like I'll exactly. I, I, um, we're getting, I'm getting a little off here, but I, I it's so good. I want to share it. Um, but the uh, same thing with jingle bells. I just realized that. And I was like, Oh, that that's not great. So I'm going to have, I, I, I don't want to keep teaching that because when you know better, you do better. Yeah. But I, on one of the, the Facebook posts in the groups where things get heated, yeah. um, unfortunately, um, someone basically the, the post was asking, you know, why should I stop doing this just because of the history of it? And someone commented with something that was really tongue in cheek, but actually meant a lot. And, you know, it really talked about the, you know, the validity and, you know, showing the students lives. And the comment said something along the lines of, I don't know about you, but it's been a long time since I've been a, a horse-drawn sleigh. Yeah. And I thought that was a really wonderful way to put it because yes, there's racist, you know, it was, it was created for a minstrel show, which is not, not, not acceptable in the slightest, but even that, even without that fact, it's not representing the lives of our students. So why are we pushing back on this? Right. Right. And that's exactly what I mean by good trouble. So from our, from our fellow music teachers, we're getting, you, you can get kickback for exactly for making noise and saying, Hey, this, we don't really need to be doing this anymore. Um, and it can kind of suck. It feels like a challenge, but I, again, challenge anyone who is mindful and cares a lot about um, culturally responsive and anti-racist teaching to really just dig deep into why, why, why is there, why do you feel so connected to that song? Or ask the question, can we, can we create something new that has the same nostalgia? You know, like, is it, is it the Jingle Bell song or is it like playing the Jingle Bells and the, the, the idea of snow and this, you know, like I, we can, we can recreate that without a racist historical, historical context, you know, exactly. historical background. So, um, yeah, it's hard. It's a challenge. For sure. So what have you really learned about how music education fits into the holistic education of a student? <sighs> Well, I'm a firm believer in human beings are musical. Like that is one of yes. the most human things that we have is our musicality. Um, we have a pulse that is rhythmic. We have voices that have all different timbres. We have um, languages that are all different styles. And those components make up music. And so, and I mean, just historically speaking, music is one of the oldest forms of human life. Um, so 
so the whole child, every child is a music maker. Every child is a music-er. I, I talk to my kids a lot about the verbs and language is, is something. My previous district was a, um, had a high population of non-English speakers or English um, speakers who students who were speaking English as their second language. Yeah. Um, and so I talked a lot about words in, in language and um, I would teach them the verb musicking <laughs> um, because I think that that is a verb. We, we music by listening, by feeling, by playing, by singing, by um, consuming, um, watching TV, there's music. Um, just this, just this, uh, month or last month in November, I did a project with my seventh and eighth graders. Um, shout out to Miss Duenas. If you don't follow her on Instagram, she's awesome. She has a pretty big TikTok following, but, um, her TikTok I think is teaching musica, but, um, she gave me the, gave me this idea of, of a music map. And I'm, I'm bringing this in because my, my eighth graders are musicers or they have been music consumers, music ing since childhood. Because when I asked them about childhood songs, very few of them shared a song. They shared TV shows. So they've been, you know, but, but that was tied to music because blues clues, Barney, Yo Gabba Gabba. Exactly. I don't even know all the ones that they were naming, but um, for this project, but they they were like naming something that we as music teachers would be like, is that you know, is that really what I meant by music? But it is. It's so the whole child, children, and human adults alike. Because I I really get frustrated when people are like I can't sing. I I don't sing. I'm not but you do. It's part of, you do. And maybe there are other people that are better than you or can do X, Y, or Z quote unquote better than you. But we, music is, is the most human thing. And before we, before we speak, we babble, ah, we coo. Exactly. Before we walk, we're dancing. So we are music. And so that's, that's my take on the whole child I probably just got a little too philosophical, but I really, really advocate for um, every child being a music maker. So I I love that you talk about the language of it, and like you know, musicking isn't just playing music. You know, there there's so many ways to be a participant in, in music. Uh, and that's something, you know, I, I've had, especially older students are like, you know, why, why do we have to have music class? I don't want to do band or I don't want to do choir in junior high. And I love the way that you put it into perspective is, you know, everyone's able to, to, to music. Everyone can be a musicer. And by, you know, sometimes that might be consuming it. That might be, you know, critiquing it, even if it's just in your brain of, eh, I don't like this song. I'm turning the radio, you know, that's still, you're still involved in music. Yes. Yep. So to wrap up today, what advice do you have for those that are either in school to become music teachers or those that are considering the profession? (laughs) Okay. Advice. Um, Mistakes are awesome. Again, those are human. Um, That means you're doing something right and it means you're alive. And um, don't be afraid 
to reach out and to connect with others. Um, you don't have to do anything alone. So even though um, it might feel you being the only arts teacher or music teacher in your building, um, there are so many of us um, now, especially connected virtually, but there are, there are so many organizations, your NAFNME local group. Um, there are, I would highly recommend reaching out to your local ORF Shulwark chapter. There are local Kodai chapters. There are, um, there are teachers out there who are passionate and love to connect as well and are there for you. Like we are better together and don't feel like you, you have to do it alone. There are, we are in this together. And honestly, that's, again, that's really musical. If you think about it, like that is what an ensemble is. We, we are doing this together. (laughs) Exactly. I love that. Each other. So don't think that because you have graduated and you're now a teacher, like you're on your own, like, no, reach out, seek, seek support, seek and share. Like, okay. I'm going to talk about her again, but Miss Duenas um, is our first year teacher and I've learned so much from her. And I really hope that she continues to share and like eventually is presenting and like shares out and isn't intimidated by teachers who are more experienced or quote unquote tenured. I deal with that too. A lot of people think I'm 16 years old when they look at me. Um, It's a daily comment I get. Um, Don't let that intimidate you. You are valid. Your voice is valid. If you have ideas, share them. If if you're willing to share them. Um, If you have um, something that works really well, blog about it, post about it, share it. Um, You could end up really helping somebody else. And um, and it feels good. I, I don't know. For me, it, I love helping. So, and I love learning from other people. So, um, that, that would be my, my word of encouragement. Let your voice be heard and, um, don't let the fact that you're a first year or a five year, or you've been teaching for 35 years, whatever it is, and you've never shared out, share, you, you have, you have worth in your, um, experience as a first year or whatever year you are so that is such a wonderful experience that is such wonderful advice um carissa where can we find more of you okay so um i am on all social media platforms as um music with mrs dunk so mrs d-u-n-c um you can email me at music with mrs dunk at gmail.com and my, um, I have links on all my social media to my blog. Um, I am kind of like still new to this like teacherpreneur stuff. So I, I don't, I didn't purchase my website. So it's a dot Weebly. So my website is musicwithmrsdunk.weebly.com. Awesome. Well, I will be sure to put all of those links in the show notes so anyone can grab those if they desire. Um, Carissa, thank you so much for spending some time this afternoon talking with me. I've really appreciated it. And I can't wait um, for others to hear your story about your music educational journey.
thank you so much for having me. And I hope everyone out there has um, an excellent rest of their school year and just keeps on keeping on. All right. Thanks, Carissa. If you found this episode helpful at all, I would really appreciate you leaving a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Not only does this help me understand what you find most helpful, it also helps more music educators just like you find the podcast. To check out the show notes for this episode, including any links mentioned, head on over to thatmusicteacher.com slash show notes.